0: Well, hello there, Richard Tubb here, and I'm joined today by Andy Redmond, who is the principal consultant at Pax8 EMEA. How are you doing today, Andy? Really good, thanks, Richard. Yeah, great to be here. It's my my debut appearance on
1: on the Tub Talk, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, hopefully not my last. But yeah, I'm I'm really pleased to be
0: here uh, to chat you. I'm sure when people get to know you the way I've got to know you, they're going to want to hear a lot <laughs> more from you, but. I guess to jump straight in, tell us a little bit about your role, principal consultant. What does that mean? What does a, a typical day look like for Andy?
1: Yeah, a typical day really varies, but yeah, principal consultant uh, means essentially that I, I very much get out of bed thinking about Pax8 partners and how in particular the, the pro services capability and the incredible technical talent we have here in the in the people we have at Pax8 can be translated into services that are our NSP partners and the the ecosystem we work with uh, can best use really. So yeah, it's a, every day is different and we're, we're learning every day, which is the best thing, but also really innovating and we get to drive and steer some incredible consultancy offerings and some amazing uh, enablement for our partners uh, already. And it's, it's every day is different because we're looking to bring more and more to that to help MSPs grow.
0: Yeah, it sounds like an exciting role. I'm really interested before we jump into pax Pro services. I know MSPs have got lots of questions about that. What led you to this role? What's your background, Andy? How did you become a principal consultant?
1: Yeah, great question. So before I joined uh, pax it was through the acquisition of a company called Wirehive, which is the first acquisition on pax global expansion now. Um, And yeah, pre-Wirehive, so I joined Wirehive seven years ago. Before that, the the kind of rest is history, but uh, I think it's probably important to mention I had 15 or so years uh, of IT desktop support experience on the front lines, in the trenches, Right. Everything from turning PCs off and on again through to changing keyboard batteries and wireless keyboards and things like that. Um, so uh, yeah, lived in the trenches uh, across lots of different MSPs, value-added resellers and, and enterprise businesses as well. Uh, and I got fed up in my career of commuting to London. So I was looking for more and more local companies to me. So I'm based in, based in Farnborough and uh, an advert popped up for a service delivery manager job at the Wirehive team. Um, at the time, yeah, 15 years of IT, desperate to be the manager of a support team finally after working working really hard to be there. And uh, yeah, within a year of being at Wahive it was a kind of testament to the, the kind of the culture, which is still still very much the culture at Pax8 today. But um, within a year of that, from the psychometric profiling and the analysis we do on our people, uh, the team there sort of identified that I'd really excel in this Azure architect role that was coming about as we were transitioning um, to be more of a, a cloud consultancy from from the old days of, I mean, traditionally, Warhive started in a garage as a really small MSP and, and turned into a, a, an Azure specialist uh, ridiculous scale. But um, yeah, so I did the Azure architect role at Warhive for, for six or so years. Um, and then, yeah, recently in the last couple of years or so, transitioned into this principal consultant, uh, which is essentially getting less and less technical. Although i I still, still a techie at
0: heart. But, um, <laughs> I was going to ask: Do you still consider yourself? Uh, dare I say a geek? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think. I mean, the whole company
1: is is on a ridiculous level in terms of we're all nerds, and we we have that culture here that everyone, no, no doubt, everyone following following you is it can resonate with what that feels like. You finally feel at home, and you feel welcomed, and you're, you're with people that that are like you. And um, yeah, I have moved to the dark side, I suppose, a bit in terms of we we talk more about. Uh, commercial opportunity and, and the, the business uh, strategy piece now. Because cloud adoption is, is, has changed my role from, it used to be as an architect, how big do you need your server to suit a solution and what's the functional non-functional requirements? Nowadays, it's really around, okay, well, how are your clients as a business going to change to adopt these amazing new data and IR opportunities or even start to use Azure and understand the variable billing and all the intricacies that go with that? There's a there's a more of a strategic shift that needs to be worked on so that the roles become a, a new one in terms of I don't think there's many people out there that do what I do in other districts, but um I, I love it and we've carved that opportunity there because we're essentially looking to help partners with their clients grow and adapt and embrace something innovative and, and new.
0: Yeah, well, let's tackle something there. So you mentioned the D word distributor. Now I know Pax Eight is traditionally known. Um, perhaps not as a distributor as like a cre- a cloud uh, marketplace uh, you know something along those lines and you've made a huge splash especially in Europe there was I've never seen anticipation for you know a company like Pax8 coming to Europe as it did and you you know you're making great a number of friends all across Europe especially here in the UK but the pro services team that's something that people don't know a great deal about at Pax8. So before we jump into that, tell us a little bit about what is ProServices? How do you help MSPs?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think realistically, Pax8 in the, the, I think it's really important to frame it as part of what Pax8 looks to do because everyone here, whether you've come in from acquisition or a new hire into the Pax8 world, we all get up about out of bed, like I said, thinking about partners at the beginning of our day and and looking to do the best we can for those partners. So ProServe in the context of that is us looking to combine not just the incredible software that we have, and, the, and frankly, the people that underpin the Pax8 platform that makes us a great distributor. But what we're looking to do at Pax8 is really push the boundaries of what a partner in that ecosystem can do for, for people who work with us. So um, more and more around the, the expertise and, and the caliber of uh, incredible architects and subject matter experts that we have in the the pro services team are just, just part of that, all, all our mission to, to be the best we can for our partners. So... Yeah, ProServe, we help people across um, modern workplace, of course, infrastructure and apps, data and AI, and and business applications. So all four of the Microsoft key technology areas. And we help everything from strategic kind of conversations, like I said, that me and my team would get involved in around sitting around the, the board level with a client potentially and look at adoption and things like that, all the way through to then enablement, helping with migrations... Uh, extending the team of the partners to to carry those out, but also upskilling them to be able to take that in-house as well, essentially to add new revenue streams for the partners we work with. And then ongoing support in terms of critical application support to the very specific niche cases around uh, 24-7 infrastructure on Azure that potentially the MSP can't do themselves in-house. We're yeah. always looking to basically extend what they can do and, um, and work for partners and through partners is a, is a saying I say almost every day. Uh, in terms of, of how we like to operate.
0: Yeah, so let me ask you a tough question: Pax8 Pro Services, does it compete with MSPs?
1: It's a great question, and I think it's a really important one to answer completely honest and, and and transparently. But I could say categorically that we don't compete with any MSPs or, frankly, any other partners. So if you're a partner in the Pax8 ecosystem, we essentially have a rule that we never compete with a partner if there's an opportunity there. Um, and frankly we it's very rare that we even get into the, the topic of that because we don't sell directly to brands. we, uh, we work through partners and four partners, like I said to, to basically extend the, the partners' team to, to add new streams to their revenue. And uh, yeah there's no for example, an end customer of, a, of an MSP can't go to the Paxic website, sign up for themselves. they have to be an indirect research of Microsoft to be on board. they have to be a, a partner of some sort, whether that's an MSP, an si, ISV. Any of the XSPs, of course, Um, yeah, you have to be in that, particularly the CSP, the Microsoft ecosystem to be part of what we're doing Um, and yeah, how we help those end customers. There's lots of incredible case studies and stories of the the end clients we've helped, but it's always been working alongside and and with those uh, technical experts to hold those relationships at the partner level. Um, that we look to support. And frankly, doing anything other than that would be us stabbing ourselves in the back, right? Because it's, it's an ecosystem we're building and we know, we understand channel at Pax8. It's the first lesson that anyone gets in. If they've never worked in channel before, you sit in a room for three days until you understand how the channel works so you can understand who to support and what it's all about. And just the incredible, Like I'm overwhelmed to go to industry events and things like that, just how everyone knows each other. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, I feel bad that I don't know everyone. I'm still trying to catch up from, from, uh, from being part of the Pax8 world, but um, but yeah, it's we're, we're partner-centric and uh, we absolutely don't compete with partners just to be really clear on that.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for clarifying that and for answering so openly uh, as well, because we have seen vendors come into this space before, talk about pro services, and then they compete with the MSPs. That is absolutely not the case here. So, you know, that's that one put to rest, which brings me on to, I guess, a bit of a, a soapbox topic of mine. I'm always speaking to MSPs about focusing on their core competencies and buddying up with other companies to provide services and solutions that they can't. So you've already mentioned Azure, uh, there's a little bit of security in there. What other type of things can uh, the Pax8 Pro Services team help MSPs with that perhaps, probably, I'm going to say, they don't have the skills in-house to do? Yeah, it's a great, great question. So I mentioned modern
1: workplace, infrastructure and apps, data and AI and business applications. Those are the four... Microsoft competencies and kind of key technology areas. So we cover all of those and we've got uh, architects, modern uh, sort of workplace specialists, all the way through to subject matter experts and engineers uh, and all the support you could need to extend your team in all of those areas. And how you tap into that as a partner, obviously, is be on board as a partner in the first place. Talk to to your channel account manager and work with the relationships there to, to understand basically how we could help with client projects and things like that. And that can either be, very much advisory calls we, we typically do a 30 minute free advisory call for any partner that's right. just looking for help because we know people need help right um, yeah. and it's not always about trying to sell something so um and yeah then when we get to the paid for assistance it's either ad hoc project work or or even a lot of partners are choosing to work with us on an ongoing relationship where essentially it's like a retained services model where you can have access to that incredible uh, technical team and one week in, I say one week, we work on two-week sprints. So one sprint, you might be focusing on modern workplace for a particular client. Then you might want to tap into some data and AI and do some Power BI training and upskilling. So there's lots of flexibility there in terms of the, either the model for how you purchase those services, um, or basically there's some free tier ones as well. Um, and in, yeah, in terms of the, the what kind of stuff we do, everything from strategy, readiness, which is a lot of it in terms of upskilling and understanding for, for clients to, help help our partners essentially understand where the opportunities are sometimes as well we have incredible data i think the tips that we can help unpick and and help them in terms of sales and marketing which i don't i don't like to generalize but the msp market is one of those that we can see a lot of trends in which um a lot of our msp partners do struggle with sales and marketing because they're typically technologists like i was that are fed up of working either in london or for a company that doesn't treat them well so they become, a lot of them become accidental business owners, we like to say, and and that we can really dovetail with those types of the people that if you're working at two o'clock in the morning thinking of how you're going to pay people and you're stressing as being a business owner, we understand that. We've seen that and and basically Pro Services has the skills there, either from the strategy piece to help, help you run your business better, all the way through to, to actually helping you deliver client projects in a way that you take the revenue and outsource it to us whilst we upskill you. And then you can take that in-house either by hiring or upskilling the existing team, which is a great way because we love keeping that existing team growing and innovating. And we've got tens of thousands of partners in the PAXA ecosystem already worldwide. We don't need to work with every single partner constantly all the time. So we're developing services that, that can help short-term. We can, we can get involved and help and upskill and, and help you by outsourcing. Uh, we also there's, there's all kinds of opportunities there with our go-to-market team that sits side by side with pro services that will help you find opportunities in your client base using some amazing Microsoft data, um, and then we'll move on to the next partner and, and help them too. So it's a it's a great thing to, for me to be in that. That as much as I'm in the dark side a little bit now that I'm doing some some pre-sales and helping partners with the the commercial side of things, it's an easy sell because we don't try to maximize our revenue from our partners. It's it's about understanding. What, what little can we do to accelerate you right now over a 90 day period potentially or the next 12 to 18 months yeah. and, uh, and then how do we set you on your own journey to to continue that new trajectory yourselves
0: this sounds like absolute gold Andy you know I, I you, you're aware I'm a former MSP uh, business owner myself if I rewind sort of 12 15 years when I was running the MSP business to find somebody of your talents and you've got a whole team of like Andes there ready to help people. But to find somebody of your talents was really, really difficult. We used to buddy up with, you know, um, uh, senior people, uh, senior technicians to get these type of skills. But if you're a Eight partner, you can now come to yourselves and you've got a whole team of them available to you. That, at its simplest level, that sounds like absolute gold to me.
1: Yeah, and it, sometimes it sounds too good to be true. That's the hardest yeah. thing with the pitch of it, right? But I think that comes from the incredible leaders not just from the Wirehive days, but the, the Pax8 team are exactly the same. And uh, they, everyone I've worked with from leadership here has been saying yes to things that possibly we couldn't do the first time that they said yes to it. So yeah. we've opened up and said, look, what do you need? Let's figure out a way of delivering on that. And that was from a tech person in Wirehive days. That was really hard because we were a small company. Every new project was something we'd never done before for the, for the first time, of course. And we built this muscle that basically was completely tuned to channel that if, a, if you're a channel business trying to do things for end clients, we understand the consumer-driven digital landscape that your clients, although they're SMBs, they're competing with the expectations of the enterprise set. So someone incredible like Jeff Bezos will come out and decide to start a bookstore. And that bookstore now sets the precedent for e-commerce everywhere. And for the local independent stores on the on the high street that need, need IT support and need that guidance, our partners are now fighting with jeff bezos on delivering incredible digital experiences for really small stores that that don't don't have that capability and that's just picking one one particular niche in one industry right but yes such such a such an issue there and i'm i'm to blame personally because i'm one of those drug demanding consumers i expect same day delivery and i won't go to a petrol station unless i can pay all my app rather than go in the kiosks stupid things that we get uh we i get don't to think
0: i'm exactly the same with you <laughs> on that one it drives things forward which, which brings me to an interesting point actually if we cast our minds back to march 2020 i think it's a month that everybody's going to remember for the rest of their lives yeah but from a managed service provider uh, perspective of course it's what i now refer to as the great working from home rush so the pandemic hit every uh msp's client got in touch with them and said can you enable us to work from home? Can you enable us to remote work? I even heard some MSPs, the clients came to them and said, can, can you flick that switch on for the cloud thing? So we can. oh yeah, we'll just do that for you. A very stressful time. But if we fast forward to now, there was some real good coming out of it, wasn't there Andy? Because a lot of uh, um, small businesses, a lot of organizations, full stop Sort of caught up with what you, I, MSPs have been talking about for a long, long time. They sort of got with the program, didn't they? Uh, for one yeah. word, and and specifically now, you know, fast forward to today, MSPs are, are experiencing this glut of opportunities around what can best be termed as digital transformation. So we've already mentioned one, uh, a couple of D words now, and we're, you know we're playing buzzword bingo. But what does digital transformation mean to you, and what f- should it mean to MSPs?
1: I think it's a it's an awesome question. Um, for me, I have to be really frank that a lot of people tuning in to this or, or listening on the podcast they'll think that's a buzzword, a marketing yeah. buzzword that that no one really does or certainly in SMB it doesn't really exist uh, but but we I have to check myself sometimes because the stuff that we get access to and that we that I see happening on a daily basis isn't the norm and I think we I've got the privilege of being really ahead of that curve because we work with the the most forward-thinking partners that come to us first but we're starting to see trends because of the because of that date that um has really accelerated a need for transformation and Digital transformation, really everything's going to be digital because that's the de facto now, right? So for me, the the important thing is that transformation is a really required skill from from MSPs or any partners that are serving their clients that are working in this world that's being really radicalized. And and in terms of acceleration of cloud adoption and those types of things, it's a a really difficult world to operate in unless you're able to, to have that transformation ability. So for me... I think one thing is about about becoming a strategic partner uh, in terms of uh, a strategic advisor that can that could really be there for their partners to to right. deliver on what they need and also consult them on things they don't know they need. I think that's the the, the biggest thing for me. A strategic advisor to the next step is really understanding things that your clients haven't yet asked for and piecing together solutions there to really consult them. Like. Lots of great MSPs do the technology strategy and, and maybe like a technical director as a service type type, type services. Yeah. Those are the ones that are really going to lead the way in terms of how digital transformation can, can impact change. And I think uh, Lamar, one of the, the consultants here, coined a phrase um, uh, a couple of weeks ago in one of our launch workshops for pro services that was for, for an MSP to survive, your clients now need to thrive. Yes. and i think that's a really really nice kind of way of putting it that it's a uh, it's not just about being good yourself now you need your clients to be doing incredible work in their industries and really be client centric to 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 survive and not lose that business to another msp because there's such a accelerated growth growth, uh, growth and rate of change at the moment
0: yeah i think there's an element there as well that you as an msp want to become the business that demonstrates to Clients, this is how it can be done. I remember when I was running my MSP business, Andy, you know, we used to use electronic signatures and things of that nature that clients it just weren't commonplace. And by using those technologies, the client would then say, huh, that's interesting. How could we use that ourselves? So we actually turned ourselves into the business that our clients wanted to be like uh, as well. Could you give us some examples of how the pro services team have helped an MSP, no names necessary, but with maybe a specific digital transformation project?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've, we've worked with all kinds of projects. I think I can name one name just to just sure. to pick, pick on someone because we've done a case study not too long ago with single source ICT. So the guys at single source um, are one of the early adopters of all of the pillars of pro services. So they've really set an example of... Um, some partners come to us and say, well, I don't really do Azure or, do you know, I, my, my bag is just modern workplace and I get involved in a bit of SharePoint and Intune and some other things, but Azure's not quite there for us yet. Actually, Single Source saw it as an opportunity to to flip that on its head and actually use us for all the things that they couldn't do. So um, we've done some amazing work with them. A number of different clients um, over kind of an 18-month period or so already And they, um, like I say, have used this across things like SharePoint migrations, there's a data and AI project where we've come in and we've done some discovery for for things like Power BI and that type of work for their clients, and and some Azure migrations and things, as well as the modern workplace stuff that traditionally they would focus on. And Mm. what that's allowed for them is for them to, to deliver uncompromised quality on the services they provide to their clients, adding additional kind of strings to their bow in what they can offer. And do it without any kind of additional risk of letting the client down. So it comes back into that pack 8 message where I'm going to be put to the test here. i am put myself up on the spot here, but we help you save time, reduce risk, and make more money. And yes. that's, that really comes to comes to light in the process of offering, just as much as the platform, just as much as partner support and everything else we have here. Um, we're, we're all on the same message and absolutely the reducing the risk because you know you're trusting on the best experts in the industry that we've got here that, you, that can do this on your behalf um having conversations right now around white label services and how we do things some partners like that some partners um some partners are happy to say that they're standing on our shoulders and and to celebrate that they're working with us and for me I'd love to get to a point that we can we can be that famous in the ecosystem that people know that oh these guys are working with PAX8. that's great uh and, and yeah. th- there's no even no question whether you need to white label so um I think that's that's the dream for me is that we we work with partners in a way that suits them, obviously, and we need to be adaptable and things and constantly learn. But really, um, single source is a great, uh, great use case. And there's a case study on the website for anyone who wanted to follow up to, to check that out. They're very complimentary of us, of course, which helps, but uh, but um, as you'd expect from a selected case study, but really any partner that's working with us, um, we've never had complaints. And realistically, we, we aim to completely delight them and their customers by Tailoring everything we do to whatever they need from us and really understanding their strengths and weaknesses so we can dovetail yeah. and, um, and pick the best services in the team. Um, because our team, and in terms of architects these days, not only is there a skills gap and it's uh, difficult to hire these kind of roles, we've seen the, Absolutely. the Comp-tier, CompTier report recently last year around the digital skills gap and difficulty with hiring. Um, we, we specifically, with the retainer services, you don't need to hire these people initially. Until you've got that kind of that that muscle built within your clients and how you operate as an MSP, so you can use us for a project. You know, if it doesn't suit the internal team and they didn't like it, then chalk that up as a mistake and move on to something else. But realistically, what we see is um, the upskilling and onboarding of these new types of services um, really growing what a partner's capable of, Um, and uh, yeah, that helps them do that digital transfer piece, digital transformation piece even more because they can really back that up, that they're, they're strategic advisors and can deliver on all these amazing things too.
0: Yeah, makes so much sense. And I'm really excited about this. So long-time listeners of Tub Talk, uh, you know, people who've watched my videos and that, will see me get visibly excited about this concept of buddying up with other companies to provide services uh, you know, that perhaps you don't have the resources, you don't have the skills in-house. Every MSP that I'm speaking to has a challenge with recruitment, getting, you know, good quality people in. So this right here is a really good answer to to, to the problem that you're experiencing. My MSP was built off the back of this type of uh, partnership, so I cannot recommend it enough. Andy, single source IT, was it, the, uh, the company that you mentioned? The single MSP. source ICT, yeah. Where are they based? Yeah. Um... Are they a UK-based MSP? Yeah, UK-based. UK-based MSP. We'll include a link to that case study that you mentioned in the show notes uh, for this uh, show as well. So, And also the CompTIA report that Andy mentioned. So we're mentioning a lot of resources here, Andy. I want to make sure if somebody's listening to this or watching this while they're out for a walk (laughs) or or whatever, uh, they don't have to be scribbling notes down. We'll we'll make sure. But I think for MSPs listening as well, it's really important. uh, If you're trying to get your head around, well, how can this type of service help? Go and have a look at the case studies, go and have a look, speak to your peers who are using these services already to understand how you can be using it to make your life easier, to make more money. Talking of making life easier, I wanted to ask you a specific, more of a a cybersecurity geeky sort of question. Everybody, of course, using cloud nowadays, uh, it exploded, especially after the pandemic. Um, Cybersecurity dominates MSP's agenda (sighs) for a lot of their time. Tell me about how can, say, Pax8 Pro services help with the cybersecurity aspect of an MSP's business? What about like hardening M365 tenants, that type of thing? Is that something you can help with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. um, yeah, we do all that from, from outsourced kind of standardized approaches for assessments of tenants through to um, looking at, obviously, the industry standards like CIS, CE, CE+, that type of thing, uh, providing reports to, to basically build a roadmap of, of remediations and improvements that our partner think go and make. Um, we, we have a policy there to obviously upskill and we don't want to keep that as our secret sauce. So those, those approaches, things that we build out with partners, any kind of things that we can help them build scripts to do this and automate that. We're constantly looking at ways to, to arm our partners to be able to do this because there's such demand that we can't do it all. Um, and obviously then going on to that, we can get involved in the hardening in terms of doing that on a partner's behalf in the client tenant. Um, looking at improvements and and consulting really on on lots of different levels. And I'm going to make it even harder for you in terms of references and things, but I can't talk about cybersecurity without mentioning the amazing work that we do um, in the cybersecurity masterclasses that that ProServer link quite closely with in terms of that. So we've got Mostyn Thomas, which no doubt some of your your followers will will know for sure. He's on board now in in the pax world. And uh, yeah, he does a great job of setting out what good looks like and helping our partners understand how to communicate that to clients and how to how to handle this beast that's come about? It really, in the it's always been there from a security perspective. It's always been best practice, right? But never have the clients asked for it in, in this kind of way before, and really no, been so aware of it, which is a great thing. But also, if you're not ready to deal with that, it's a it's a steep learning curve. So. Um, there's uh, there's lots we can do to help, but um but yeah, there's another resource for you, Richard, to, to follow up with.
0: Well, we'll we'll include the link to that and also <laughs> Mostin Mostyn as Thomas, listeners to this show, longtime listeners will know and love Mustin. Mostin is like the go-to security guy, such an incredible high at for PAX eight. I dropped Mostin a, a text as soon as uh, as the news came out. I was like, That's a really cool move. But you are building an incredible team of experts there and um, you know, people who have got MSP background, people with technical background, it really is impressive to see I want to go a little bit deeper and talk about another tool that I hear in lots of conversations with MSPs uh, and that's Intune uh-huh. uh, I hear it mentioned all the time and yet and perhaps listeners can get in touch and tell me if I'm wrong here I don't see too many MSPs really get into grips with what Intune can do for them so let's talk about Intune and how that can be used for MSPs is that something that, that uh-huh. you've come across yeah, it's a great one. And I have to, I have to caveat, because I've come out and said I'm, I'm a techie, but I'm not a modern workplace
1: architect by any means. So um, do get in touch with us if you want more detail on any of this stuff. But from my experience of Intune, I mean, I I grew up and I started working in IT, obviously in a world where it was all about group policy. And yeah. uh, those kind of controls were fascinating, to, to especially getting into enterprise level and understanding how you can control and govern everything. And uh, I think what's happening more and more now with security and governance is that we're seeing a trend of it being about empowering the user rather than controlling and, and sort of an authoritarian take on controlling an IT infrastructure. So um, I love the resurgence of Intune. I think it didn't necessarily, I can say this because it's not a Microsoft call, but I, I think it just didn't necessarily start off on the best foot. And I think Agreed, the, yeah. the recent investment into some of the technology, I mean, there's some, some latest announcements that I haven't read yet from last week that I know. A game changer because everyone said make sure you read this before going on to to talk to Richard Tubb and I haven't had time um,
0: well the good news <laughs> is I've not read it
1: either Andy I'm Perfect. sure our listeners have but yeah so we could we could pretend this was recording before the <laughs> announcement um, uh, but yeah that something something I really love and it's just just the little details around the difference between MDM and MAM so for the benefit of the listener that hasn't caught up on Intune as much as much as I have so far um, MDM is the classic mobile device management in terms of corporate control of corporate-owned devices and realistically, historically, a, a user using their own personal device like yeah. many small business companies have to do. Um, if you're using your phone to access your emails, then all of a sudden you've signed in and either that's unpoliced and uncontrolled, which is terrifying for the company, or, uh, or it's controlled completely by the organization to a point where they can wipe your personal device, which is terrifying mm. for the end user. So um, mobile app management or application management is a, an interesting take on that where the applications and the the copying and pasting of data between them and everything on personal devices is controlled at the application level, not at the device level. So you can have Outlook, OneNote, and some corporate applications that you manage on there, and you can control someone being able to copy and paste data from from the company Outlook only into OneNote, for example, to start making notes about a reply and vice versa. So it's, it's really interesting to get that granular level of control. And again, that only comes around from smartphone manufacturers and, and the OS level on smartphones being so open and customizable for, for apps to have that control. But um, it's, a, it's a great example of empowering IT experiences rather than security getting in the way of people wanting to do their best work. So Intune for me is, is a great example of a service that really does touch on that digital transformation that really is required now because so many people are working on, on random devices. Um, and yeah, the, the ability there to to apply those amazing group policies that we used to all love, love back in the day, to do that at the scale of the cloud now, where devices can be direct dropped to, to a new user uh, in the middle of Wales somewhere that doesn't come into the office potentially. And you don't have to care whether they're, 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 you're going on site to set that up anymore and things like that. It can all be um, pre-configured as soon as they log in and all the, the policies there but yeah, for me, it gets really exciting when we start talking about personal devices and uh, not giving up control while still having the the trust that everyone needs from a baseline uh, from from security policies there. So yeah, um, and I, I, I think Josh told me to say that um, Josh, um, solution architect on my workplace, that even the Mac, um, the the Macintosh kind of support there is much improved these days for Apple devices. So um, he thinks there's lots of legacy feelings going around. Uh, yeah. Generally, I think. Um, if you haven't caught up with it yet, then then give it a go. Get in touch with us if you're one of the partners and you wanted to get a, an advisory call in to understand a bit more or something like that. There's, a, there's It's a great opportunity to explore now and, and read those latest updates and see what they're doing because Microsoft are putting so much research and development and um, improvements into these kind of services. It's, uh, it's hard to keep up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would go as far as to say, if there's one thing, one action that people take listening to this, uh, coming out of this call, is to to do that to get in touch with you and say, okay, can you uh, educate us a little bit more on the opportunities within Tune here and uh, with the mobile devices and that? Because it really is a growing area. Let's we we beat Microsoft up a little bit there. <laughs> Let's be nice to Microsoft now. And I'm I'm joking, of course. But other technologies that I'm seeing really sort of uh, not take hold yet. But the excitement and the potential uh, for them taking hold with MSPs, Azure Virtual Desktop, uh, Windows 365. Again, I don't see a lot of MSPs grabbing hold of those technologies just yet. But I sense there's a huge opportunity there, uh, and perhaps they're not doing it because of the complexity of the deployment. So, can you talk to me from from that perspective, Andy? What you're seeing in the marketplace and how MSPs can can utilise those technologies?
1: Yeah, I think. Um... There's going to be another link for you to send with this as well but um I think we'll, we'll work we way around there but there, there's a massive amount of complexity with Azure I mean I I was thrown into the Azure architect role that we hadn't done before previously sort of six or seven years ago and um I had at that point I was single point of contact for Microsoft and CSP and Azure and everything that we did so um I've been there and I've faced that kind of um learning curve myself firsthand so I feel your pain anyone listening that's um, really struggling to grasp Azure and how it works and how to cost it, frankly, is mm. the first place you start and normally the first hurdle. Um, it's a it takes time to get to grips with it. And particularly it is not going to align with most of the MSP's business models in terms of charging per user for services that are fixed price per month. Um, it's very much there's pricing online that everyone can go and see from Microsoft in terms of how much it costs. Yet um the ability to bake in margin and, and other things on top of that is it is a challenge for MSPs to understand where. And there's no, I'd love to say I've got a silver bullet answer uh, in terms of how to approach it, but I think it depends per per partner and per client, really, in terms of what you need to do there. So there's a 90-minute or so webinar that I did, which is on Azure demystification with our principal architect on Azure, Jacob Maguire. And um, yeah, links, links to follow up, but that's an incredible watch in terms of we basically... We took, we took what should have been the script in terms of Microsoft Azure is the leading hyperscale cloud provider. We tore that up. There's a little bit of one on one of what Azure is, but it's us having a frank conversation around why nobody's using it enough in the MSP world and what are some of the challenges. And we we landed on some really interesting things that we had a few ideas beforehand, obviously, that come up on the graphics on screen, but some of the things that were unscripted in between, just us talking um, between me and Jacob, we, we really landed on some ideas there around how you can flip the model on its head and rather than trying to bake in margin at a percentage base on, on everything on Azure or, or looking to fix price and, and include your margin in there and sort of manage the underlying infrastructure to keep that margin there, there's lots of ways in thinking, okay, let's just, let's just do it completely openly and let's, let's not add any margin to the Microsoft Azure services whatsoever and let's look at value-added services where we actually deliver value on. So let's put our margin where our value is because we don't add value, just reselling Microsoft services. Um, and for me, that's the maybe the hardest, and I'm not expecting that's an easy thing for, for MSPs to start to adopt, but um, if you can get to a point where you're that comfortable talking talking to clients, say, look, we can resell you this, so this is the, the retail price for Microsoft for, for the Azure services, that, that in itself is a challenge, because you have to help them understand that it's variable and it will change based on usage and things like that. But yeah, realistically, charging your, putting your margin where your value is, I think is one of the best things to try and focus on when building out products and services for the, for these types of things. And that's, for me, that's the biggest challenge with Azure because you look at it and it's already, anything you buy on Azure is so well built in terms of every bit of storage is on three different storage stamps per data center, per region, paired with a region that's geographically nearby to it. So you could, you could say that Azure Files is, is similar to Dropbox, but I can guarantee that the underlying storage infrastructure that Microsoft put in place in all of their data centers doesn't compare to some of the cheaper storage providers and things that are out there. So it's a, it's not always the right use case as well. So, I mean, I could talk all day about Azure, but yeah, <laughs> the next, I'll give you one more top tip that if you can get to a point of understanding where things shouldn't be migrated to Azure, then that's the, that's the point where you become the Azure trusted provider that everyone comes to and loves. So... Um, yeah, I think for me as a technologist, you've got to be agnostic and understand that um, Azure isn't the place for all infrastructure. And I'm sure Microsoft won't mind me saying this. It's about understanding what really works on Azure will accelerate the adoption and you'll get more and more, more things moving to Azure when you understand what's best placed there. Yes. So uh, so yeah,
0: that's that's the key as well, really. That is yeah. a value value bomb right there from uh, Andy. And one of my great friends, Craig Sharp, who runs an uh, MSP in Birmingham called Abusi, many years ago, I learned a lesson from him uh, about technology, knowing when to say, no, this isn't a good fit for the technology, rather than trying to shoehorn everything into it. So um, absolutely, couldn't agree with you more on that one. One final question, I guess, on at migrations. Uh, it could be something that MSPs look at and go, you know, we haven't really got the in-house skills uh, to do this. Do you help MSPs with those type of migrations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So to give a bit of an insight, again, I'm talking about have too much, but realistically, it's important, I think, to explain no, okay. the pedigree of where the team comes from. I mean, just to be really clear, none of us refer to Wahove. I've said Warhive more times today than I have in the last 12 months or 18 months. Uh, but to explain the pedigree of the, the team and where they come from, that was all Wirehype did. So we we didn't focus on modern workplace license reselling or anything like that. We calmed that away. Realistically, it was about uh, about building a hyperscale cloud infrastructure consulting practice. And with that came um, a really interesting learning curve, obviously, and, and the ability to really consult on doing migrations best. So our architects go through the same training that the Microsoft architects go through. And normally, if you're a Microsoft employee, you get shipped out to uh, Seattle to, to do that. But uh yeah, we just we just stay in Farnborough and do it or, or Bristol. But uh who needs Seattle but, when you've got Farnborough? But yeah, learning basically learning to, to do a migration well, you really need to understand like for like or lift and shift is sometimes the only option. And that that's fine. But understanding where things could be re-platformed, re-refactored re-architected those types of there's there's all of the R's of, of architecture migrations basically at that level on IaaS but understanding if we've got a if we've got a SQL database running on a SQL server on-premises could that be an Azure SQL that then gives you some of the platform as a service benefits that um, may on paper look a little bit more expensive but when you realize that the backup and DR solutions are all baked into a service like that actually if you're doing things properly on-premises with all of the continuity and and you're looking at your RTOs and RPOs, comparing from a disaster recovery perspective of what's like for like. Actually, some of the the platform as a service offerings there can be really beneficial. So, not just doing a lift and shift, but analysing what's there, how it could be innovated with the latest technologies on Azure, um, and even things that typically on paper are difficult because they've got complex requirements. Microsoft have got things like for SQL, for example, the managed instances. So, mm. that that adds like legacy. And complex kind of uh, abilities there in the feature set, so it can be compatible with with on-premises as much as possible. So there's there's lots there in terms of uh, detailed kind of discovery that needs to go in. So start with the strategy of what's the business case of why you're migrating, because that's that's really important, and that might dictate lift and shift is required here because we've got a tight timeline or things like that. Um, and understanding not just what's required today, but what's required in two years from now for your client, maybe. the the best solution right now might lean to look differently. I mean, don't want to build it again. So understanding that roadmap and then looking at the best architectures suited to those types of requirements uh, and making sure that we're operationally looking at the best cost cost, uh, optimization there as well. So things like scheduling resources, everyone talks about reserved instances, so I'm not going to lecture you guys on that. Everyone knows that you can basically prepay for a year or three years and save some money. But reservations are only so go so far, and actually scheduling things off that don't need to be on outside of Monday to Friday have a significantly bigger impact than even reservations. So, understanding what's really required, and uh, getting your head around the fact with Azure as well. Another top tip is that you pay for every second you're using something in Azure. So, if you're not committing upfront, then you you are paying for the benefit of having the ability to switch something on and turn it off again, and Microsoft have to manage that economy of scale. So. Yeah. Um, looking at what could be switched off or scaled down when you're not using it should be the starting point when you're putting some infrastructure in Azure. you shouldn't ever, ever have a VM running for the full 744 hours per month uh, flat out at the spec that you need because um, that's just tr- traditionally with legacy on-premises hardware. You yeah. buy some kit, you think how many CPUs and how much RAM do we need? What's the, what's the storage requirements? And it's pretty simple really because you, you don't necessarily worry about the capacity that's not being used Uh, There's a couple of services in Azure that are sparsely provisioned from like some of the old page blobs and disks that you can attach, but everything else, you pay for the entire capacity you provision. So for every second that's running, you need to understand it does it really need to be at that level? How can I optimize it? And what's the best thing there? So migrations are really complex. To be able to do all of that when when a client's saying, I just need to move this server, what's how much and how much and when? um, That's why we've got the, the incredible architects in the team that can do Either advisory calls if you're trying to do it yourself. If you're not trying to do it yourself, again, you can outsource and you can work with us on a one-off ad hoc basis. Or if you've got lots of clients with these types of projects coming up, then the retainer service is a great opportunity to take five, 10, 15 hours, that kind of a map month. Some partners are taking 60 hours a month to really lead with that team as if they're as if they work for you. And of course, that's not not to say it's white labeled, but You'll be on first name terms with your your your, your friendly as your architects and your modern
0: workplace experts that come and help you on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And again, this sounds like an, a no-brainer to me. It sounds like absolute gold. I want to continue on the theme of migrations. And I know we could probably do a whole episode, couldn't we, around Azure, <laughs> around migrations and things like that. But let me throw one out at you that I know MSPs struggle and have struggled with for many, many years now. And that SharePoint. It's a uh, you know, super, super powerful, but can be super, super awkward, especially when you throw OneDrive in there and clients who just want to use SharePoint as though it's like a, you know, a file structure. What does SharePoint migrations look like for the pro services team? How can you help clients, MSPs, that is, with their client migrations? Yeah, the most common
1: one we see is
0: essentially looking and deep diving
1: into what kind of data is being used and the, the sprawl of data storage services currently and ascertaining what's the best solution for that, whether it's OneDrive or SharePoint. Um, typically, best practices for things that are shared to go on SharePoint, obviously, and things personal to be on OneDrive, but it's always u- unique types of data, data use cases that come up. So it's a it's a discovery piece initially to look at that. Um, the team very often end up doing a statement of works for that migration to say, this is how we would approach it. Um, and then, yeah, partners leverage us either on the one-off basis or, or recurring with lots of clients there to, actually outsourced to that. Um, less common to be frank, but, but something that's really interesting that goes hand in hand with that is the kind of data strategy conversation. So okay. we can we can also do data strategy workshops for clients that really want to understand the use of data through the business. So we're in a world now where everyone has smartphones in their pockets, lots of lots of even small small medium businesses now have digital interactions with their consumers that they can track logs for and get lots of data from third party sources as well that's relevant to their their way of working. The data strategy workshop takes that a step further and really understands what is all the data sources you have, how are you currently utilizing those, are you doing business intelligence at just a board level, or does everyone in your business have Power BI at their fingertips to go and explore the data and, and look at look at trends and the way that they work to, to essentially do the best job they can every single day. So that, that evolution of what BI is, um, is really interesting as well from a data perspective that kind of goes hands in hand with, with SharePoint and data and things like that. But yeah, most of them are, it's, the, it's the, you know, the enablement piece that's most common that we focus on, but there's always that additional kind of, for, for partners that are looking to help with, get help with even more mature types of services, we've got that capability too, which is really cool.
0: So that's really interesting to me. And can, just to clarify, so you would partner up with the MSP and go into the client to have that conversation with them directly about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Uh, I mean, historically, we've done we've done workshops, and we've our resource isn't just about enablement and migration solely. We can we can turn up and help uh, partners that are running workshops to talk to their clients about opportunities as well. So, uh, a partner could run a, a data strategy workshop, for example. I'd happily come and talk at that event and and drum up lots of client opportunities for them to then talk to their clients about how they're using data, rollout Power BI, and there's obviously the revenue that comes from the licensing for that, but but also the, the stickiness of the client relationships there is, is an incredible benefit of really understanding everything you could be doing for your clients and just showcasing it. And just the the envisioning, envisioning sessions around the art of the possible with AI is an incredible piece that, that really opens the minds of people that this stuff isn't science fiction. It's actually at our fingertips. And you could use it right now as a client of a partner of Pax8 to, to, to really set the competition aside and have that competitive advantage.
0: You've just hit the nail on the head for me there. I think the MSPs who are going to get as excited as I am speaking to you about this are the most progressive MSPs who understand that, yes, support and services is the bread and butter of managed services. But what's going to really differentiate them is the ability to go in and speak to their clients about their business and how, going back to digital transformation, how the technologies can help them gain the competitive advantage, how they can do things faster better cheaper than the competition so i'm so excited about this opportunity andy you know i'm i'm, I'm bubbling with it i'm really grateful for your time i know you must be the most in demand person in the industry at the moment because trying to carve out an hour uh, of your and my diary uh, was man i don't know any ai on the planet that could have uh, uh, done it as well as our team to get us there <laughs> and so i'm very conscious of your time before you go though i've got to ask you a personal question okay i heard this rumor is it true that you once flew a plane upside down over Stonehenge?
1: Yes. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> more. Pack so we have our, our kind of a ritual where we have to do our interesting or weird fact uh, that okay. no one's heard before, and you end up finding some really, um, really specific, weird and interesting facts. Some morbid as well, but um, but yeah, I think one of my original interesting ones was yeah, I did a. My sister bought me an aerobatic flying lesson. I love love planes. I grew up in Farnborough and born and raised there. So aviation is a massive interest of mine. And um, yeah, I went to um, Andover, the Fruxton circuit there. And there's a chap that has a Slingsby Firefly, um, does aerobatic lessons. And uh, he says, oh, I love taking people over their houses and where they, where they live. So uh, I said, uh, yeah, I live in live in Farnborough and obviously being an international airport with lots of private jets coming and going. Near to Heathrow as well, The guy the guy, face kind of drained and said well we can't go over your house that's a that's a that's a non-starter how about Stonehenge so uh so yeah we went to we flew over to Stonehenge which wasn't far from there by pl- by by plane of course um and yeah I absolutely loved it I flew flew the plane from start to finish took off and land I don't have a pilot's license but I've done enough lessons that I could get by I don't know any of the complex controls but I can, I can hold the stick and I can I can get by and uh yeah we did some stall turns literally over Stonehenge so we're up Wing over, stall turn, and looking down, and there's there's the stones right beneath us. It was a pretty incredible experience. Uh, that's yeah. a great,
0: That's amazing. And, and just to be clear, I want to clarify. So if MSPs want to partner up with Pac State, that's not part of the onboarding process, is it? They don't have to fly with you upside down over Stonehenge.
1: Absolutely not. But if they if they're interested, <laughs> I, I mean, I've joked that we're going to take people into space as a PR stunt for marketing, a part of our where business goes big kind of space themed campaign. I'd love to I'd love to transform a partner that goes so well in terms of the, the the transformation that we do that we yeah we can book some virgin galactic flights and literally take them into space on 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 that but um wow. yeah let's, let's see where I get with marketing on that one in the future but um
0: you heard just, it here first people uh, Virgin Galactic Flights for PAX8 customers we'll see where that one goes but <laughs> like, on a more serious note for, for any MSP who isn't a PAX8 partner yet how easy is it for them to sign up? What would you tell them to do next? Yeah, anyone that's not signed up,
1: I mean, there's there's so many resources that are going to be attached to this, but if you Google or if you're like me and you're trying to get early access to ChatGPT within Bing, maybe you've got Bing enabled now, um, if you if you use a search engine for get started with Pax8, that will take you to the sign up page Is generally the first result on that search. Um, it takes no time at all to sign up. There's absolutely no obligation whatsoever. So you get access to all of the platform and Pro Services is a team that works with any Pax8 partner that's signed up, so you don't have to move everything across tomorrow. You could start with those advisory calls and start speaking to the incredible team that we've got around us here to to really to really make that decision to help you help you get that across. And if you let them know, I was, I was almost saying with a winking face that let, let them know I sent you. But um, if you mentioned that you're interested in Pro Services, part of that sign up process, the amazing cloud generation specialists that onboard new partners. We'll tee us up so one of the team can talk you through it there and then straight away, rather than waste your time, if you, if you really need to hear any details that we spoke about today. Essentially, we're people people. Um, and I, I one more resource for you to send out. I'm, I'm Please, it, yeah. Your team are going to be even busier than trying to book our calendars here. But um, <laughs> there's a, a there's something that's amazing that we do for, for people that haven't yet signed up to Pax8 is our launch briefing. So anyone oh, yes. can go and register for that. And depending on whether you're wherever you, where you are in the in the, the mayor region now that we're expanding into here that, I, that I'm in um, we've got the the full english version of that on the 27th of april or if you like your launch briefings a uh, continental style then we've got the the 26th of april the day before we've got the uh the eu launch briefing as well and that's uh, a good chunk kind of half a day session going through everything to do with paxate um all the paxate experience stuff that i i love but i don't get the time to talk about enough um, yeah, they'll cover all of that, and it's a it's a great intro to to everything else that we can do. If you haven't signed up yet, that's probably the best place to start.
0: Agree, and you really are making waves with those. You know, I, I promote them to the MSP uh, community out there; they sell out super, super quickly. So these this is not like uh, you know a sales pitch or sales pattern or anything, this is really valuable content as well. So uh, if, you've, if you if uh, you can't get one soon, keep an eye uh, on the PAX 8 website and uh, there will be another one coming up at some point in the near future. Talking of which, we have mentioned so many resources, so many great uh, uh, bits and pieces for people. I don't want people to be stressing out about having to scribble all these things down. We'll include all of them in the show notes. We've also got a landing page on my website. So tublog.co.uk forward slash PAX 8 which includes a load of the resources that we've talked about, plus many other videos. Uh, and and you, you're going to find anything that you uh, need to find there. And if you can't, let us know and we'll put something there as well. Andy, this has been absolutely fabulous. I've got a feeling we're going to have to do this again in the very near future to catch up on a lot of the stuff that maybe we only scratched the surface of. Would you come back in the future and talk to me a bit more?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, maybe we should book it in soon. But uh, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Really... Uh, really great uh, to have this kind of voice on on your channel and with so many of your followers. It's uh it's amazing, and I'm, I'm a huge advocate for everything here at Pax Eight because uh, because of a number of reasons, really. But uh, yeah, if it all sounds too good to be true. Come come and speak to us, and you'll find out why. Really, to anyone there that's thinking this this guy's probably been been paid to paid a lot of money to say things like this. Frankly, I, yeah, it's a it's a personal passion of mine to to work somewhere that really is partner centric and and. Yeah in terms of things we're working on in the future, I know there's stuff coming up already around the the Bamboom acquisition and other things that are moving there as well. So that's super exciting. So um, yeah, stay tuned for that. And I'd, I'd absolutely love to come back, here.
0: Yeah. Oh, love it. You know, I say long time, to long-time listeners of this show, you will know that I love shining a light on the positive disruption in our industry. And there are very few companies doing, mixing things up for the betterment of MSPs more than Pax8. So really appreciate your time, Andy. Thanks again.